0: Listening to Law & Gospel on this Monday, September the 30th, last day of September, in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be taking a look at a lesson for the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, which is coming up this October the 6th. And the lesson we're going to be looking at, and there's a number of them, there is Psalm 62, Habakkuk chapter 2, Luke 17, but we're going to be taking a look at Second Timothy chapter 1. And part of the reason that you listen to Law and Gospel is because we're trying to help you understand what is the distinctions between Law and Gospel. We've said this numerous times, but I know that there'll be uh, some people listening, I drove a Uber Friday night from 10 at night till about 3 in the morning and spoke to a number of people. Some of them may be listening. Uh, I actually give out a, a card for KFUO business card and they can therefore listen to it. And the point we're trying to make is the distinction between law and gospel when we're talking about Bible study and preaching is not the content, but rather the application. What does that mean? Well, uh, for example, you may be taking a look at, uh, go to a pharmacist, and he has various medicines. He can explain to you what is in every medicine, but that's not good enough. He needs to apply what this medicine is for. So he may say, yes, we got this medicine from a a plant in the Amazon, and here's what it's made up of and give you some characteristics of it. But if you don't know that it helps with a headache, or with muscle spasms, you may not realize how to apply it. So, we're gonna be taking a look at Timothy because the entire Bible is all about Jesus, but it's also about the distinction between law and gospel. So, Bible passage often will talk about the application of law, and we'll talk about the application of gospel. And that's the importance of a sermon. Because after you explain in a sermon the distinctions between law and gospel, you apply them to the people in the pew. So, without further ado, let's see if Paul does that with Timothy. He begins verse 1. This is the first verse in Second Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So that's a fact. Now he's going to bring in the gospel. By the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now who doesn't know the story about Saul before he became Paul where he was persecuting the Christians. But then on that road to Damascus, the Lord came to him and opened his heart and faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul a number of times will say, I'm not an apostle by my own choosing. I was called by God, by the will of God. According to what? according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a really good summary of the application of gospel. Gospel, yes, the content is Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. But what's the application? The application is therefore, God, through those deeds of Jesus, Has given us a promise of life that is because of Christ Jesus. For me, here's the distinction between law and gospel in regard to content. The law is always a demand or a command from God that we are to fulfill, but we're unable to fulfill it. So, what's the gospel? The gospel is found in the promises of God. And there's two kinds of promises. There's law promises and gospel promises. Law promises go like this. If you do this or that, then you will be saved. That's every other religion in the world. You will not find any other religion in the world outside of Christianity that doesn't have a law promise the gospel promise is not a demand it's a gift christianity is gift and so paul received a gift from god on that road to damascus namely faith in jesus christ and he soon learned all the promises connected with that gift It's one thing, can you imagine you're a child in a family and your parents say, yes, you'll have a meal tonight if you clean your room, cut the lawn, and wash the car. Well, I I, I don't have time to do all that. Well, then no meal for you. (laughs) No. Children are brought up on promises, not on demands. Now, every every now and then, there'll be demands and commands, maybe to make an allowance or something like that. But by and large, most of what children receive in the family are due to the promises of the parents because of the life they have received in that new child. So, we're not even out of the first verse, and we see very clearly the gospel application that Paul became an apostle, not by anything he had done, but rather by the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child. Now, that's interesting because Paul isn't related to Timothy at all. He's not Paul's child. No, If I were going to find out who his mother and grandmother is pretty soon. But at this point, he's a child because he's part of the family of God. And it appears that Paul did have some influence in him becoming a Christian. So, what does he give to Timothy? Grace, mercy, and peace From, Paul? No. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this is a good verse to show that Jesus is God. Because he says, And peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, who is also our Lord. You see, This is really important to understand that Christ Jesus is God. And what do we get? We get grace. We always have fun with Mark Smith on these. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, eternal punishment. And peace, what does that mean? It means that God is now reconciled to you because of what Jesus Christ has done. How did that occur? Well, the reconciliation wasn't there as long as you still deserved eternal punishment. But Jesus took upon himself that eternal punishment. So you're not even out of verse 2, and you got tremendous application of gospel. Timothy has received grace, the forgiveness of sins. He has received mercy. He's not going to be punished eternally. He's going to receive peace. He is one with God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Now what Paul is referring to, who are the ancestors he's talking about? Well, those of Israel who were the prophets of old. Remember, Paul was assigned by God to uh, become an apostle to the Gentiles. And uh, there was other people in the Old Testament who became prophets to the Gentiles. You ever remember the name Jonah? (laughs) He was not happy when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and you will convert them through the words I tell you to say. And Jonah wasn't happy about that. Got swallowed up on the beach by a large fish who had swallowed him. And guess what? He went to Nineveh, and I'm sure he didn't have a very positive attitude and was really unhappy when God had not destroyed the city, but instead the entire city repented of their sins. Now, not only do we pray, for those we love. Verse 4, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Now, he doesn't indicate what were the tears of Timothy. They could have been for a number of reasons. Uh, one was he's a sinner. People often will ask me, how are you doing today? I say, oh, not good. Why? Well, I'm a sinner. I said that to one of my Uber drivers, and I think I scared her because <laughs> I um, almost gave her the impression that I'm a bad person. And then I said, no, no, what I mean by that is I am a pastor of the Lutheran Church, but we believe, teach, and fit, confess that we're sinners. And after a conversation, I was able to explain to her that, you know, even when we do good things, we often have an ulterior motive for them out of self-interest. And she even shared with me a friend that is always helping out people, but it was clear to her that she did that to make herself look good in front of those people. And I said, yeah, that's the distinction we got into a conversation of old Adam and new man. So the other reason there could be tears is when they left one another. And that might be it because verse 4 says, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And that joy, of course, would be meeting again uh, the child of faith. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now, the the faith he would be talking about is, of course, the faith in Jesus Christ. And it appears that the grandmother, Lois, first came to faith and then got that faith in her daughter Eunice by telling her what she believed. And the Holy Spirit created faith in Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So that's kind of interesting that the two women had shared the message of Jesus Christ Now, this doesn't mean that women can be ordained because Paul wouldn't have spoken against the women of ordination. But it does mean that women do have the wonderful ability to share the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, During my many years as a pastor with a congregation, the women Sunday school teachers, some of them were better than I was especially in reaching little children. I'm pretty good when it gets to confirmation age up to adults. But little children, uh, they would always say, you know, Pastor, uh, you're you're not as good with little children. (laughs) Because I'm always trying to give insights, and little children, they don't understand them sometimes. But be that as it may. Verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is is in you through the laying on of my hands. So obviously, Paul and Timothy had been together, and the laying on of hands is very important here. Issues, etc., had a pretty good hour on ordination, and one of the signs of ordination is the laying on of hands. So, what the apostle Paul was doing was bringing Timothy into the minister ministry as a pastor. He still had a lot to learn, but that occurred through the laying on of hands. In verse seven: For God gave us a spirit. Not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, why is he against the fear? Well, take a look at every time somebody saw God, particularly in the Old Testament books, Isaiah. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell with a people of unclean lips. Uh, He thought for sure he was going to die. But, of course, God sent an angel to the altar, burning coal, touched the lips of Isaiah, and he therefore became a minister of the gospel and a prophet. So, that's rather than fear of God, we have received from God power and love and self-control. Where would self-control come in? Well, be persecuted. And see how you can take it. With Christ, you can do it with self-control. Where you don't get even with someone. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This is really critical. This Verse about that the life of the Christian is often one of suffering. Probably the Heidelberg Disputation, written by Luther in 1518, is the best document to read about how suffering God uses to bring us into even a better relationship with Him. And if you want a Bible uh, book about it, read the book of Job. God allowed suffering to Job, in order that at the end of the book of Job, Job says, boy, I once taught and I'll put my hand over my mouth. I heard rumors about you, but now I see you face to face. And his faith had really increased. And then he goes on, who saved us, this is verse eight, uh, nine, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Now here comes the law. Not because of our works. Isn't that amazing? It only takes nine verses, and we're already speaking out against works as a means of salvation. We were not called because of our works. Then why were we called? Obviously it wasn't because of the works of Paul. Paul before he was saved, because he was killing Christians. Paul continues, but because of his own purpose and grace. Who's his? That's God's, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now, if you want to know what Paul's talking about, read the first chapter of Ephesians, where from before the foundation of the world, God had chosen us, and that's what he's talking about here. Before the ages began, that we were saved and called by him. Verse 10, which now has been manifested. Another word for manifest would be revealed. This calling has been revealed through what? The appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, death isn't abolished, is it? People are still dying, even Christians. What's Paul talking about? Well, we need to understand that there's two kinds of deaths. The one is physical death, but the other one is eternal death, spiritual death. In fact, Jesus made it clear that unbelievers in his day, such as Pharisees, etc., were the walking dead. They appeared to be alive. They boasted of their works, but they were really in a state of death. It is that death that Christ abolished upon the cross as he took upon himself the sins that really we deserved punishment for. And he brought life. Remember, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And immortality, which means though we had a beginning, we will have no ending of life. And where does it come from? Through the gospel. We need to understand, first of all, the content of gospel, which is the works of Jesus Christ. But more importantly, the application of gospel, which is the forgiveness of sins, the robe of righteousness, and our calling into our vocation, which verse 11 talks about, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. That's really important to understand. Paul recognizes it was not because of his works that he became right with God, rather because of God's gracious decision to appoint him a preacher, apostle, a teacher from before the foundation of the world, which is why I suffer as I do. I don't think a lot of people realize that, that when we baptize a child into the Holy Christian Church, we're also preparing them to be suffering, Suffering why? Try and be a child in today's schools, uh, listening to the teaching of evolution or immorality and this kind of thing, and then standing up for the message of Jesus Christ, which as I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, verse 12 says, for I know whom I have believed. Boy, there it is. How are we saved? Not by obedience, but through faith. And I am convinced. Now, that's on the basis of a promise. That he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now, what's, he, what's been entrusted to him? Faith in Jesus Christ in order that he might proclaim that message to those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 13, so he's now going to give advice to Timothy. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. So once again, There was that opportunity sometime in the past where Paul not only laid hands on Timothy, but told him the message of Jesus Christ. And what were those sound words? In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world. Now that so loved the world refers, look at how much he loved us, that he gave his only begotten son. And to have faith in Jesus means to believe the promises that Jesus says. Verse 14. Once more, Paul isn't going to take any credit to himself. Who does he give the credit to for the faith that Timothy has? He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now here's where I would use this in the congregation, that when you were baptized and received that faith, the good deposit is, of course, the teachings of Jesus Christ, and they're entrusted to you to do what? To share them with others. That's why the first thing that parents should be thinking about after the birth of the child is to entrust to the child the good deposit by having the child be brought to baptism so that God can bring the child into his holy family. And this is all done by the Holy Spirit. So in verse 2, we're talking about God the Father and Christ Jesus, and in verse 14, by the Holy Spirit. So you've got the whole trinity in here, you have the gospel, and most importantly, you have the application of law, not saved by works, and the application of gospel. What a wonderful passage, Second Timothy chapter 1, this week's epistle. Tomorrow we're going to be taking a look on a hymn. The title is I know my faith is founded. What's interesting about this hymn, it talks about not only what your faith is founded on, but what it ought not be founded on. Tomorrow's long gospel with Mark Smith. God bless.